This is Blue Wire. Welcome to another episode of the Press Coverage Podcast. I am your host, Eric Crocker. And if you're not following me already on Twitter, go ahead at Eric underscore Crocker. Hit that follow button as well as follow the Press Coverage Podcast Twitter account, which is at Podcast. Tons of content, wide receivers, defensive back stuff, daily, hourly. Uh, it's almost like I don't take a break from, you know, breaking down stuff. I, I just love football. I'm pretty much obsessed with it. That's why I had to get my own podcast so I can talk about it as well. And you guys listen to me. You guys interact with me on Twitter. I love that. Keep all of that coming. I appreciate it. So, yeah, draft season's over now. So we won't be talking about any of that. Today, we'll be talking about something that happened on Twitter. I, I kind of sparked a big, I don't want to say debate, but there was a video of Sammy Watkins. And I retweeted and said, Sammy Watkins, top five college football player ever on my top five. And, and I had listed a top five and tons and tons of responses. I mean, there were like 200 comments or something like that. It just everybody talking about who they feel should be in there and guys I left off. All right. Now, that was just a broad top five. You know, I didn't really put too much thought into it. I just threw some names out there. And I really like Sammy Watkins. I think I liked him more as a prospect than what he actually did in college, which was really good. Obviously, he was like number four overall draft pick, but I want to go in depth now with my real top five. I did some research. I went back and it's all guys that I watched is all guys that I got to feel their impact on the game. So spoiler alert, you won't see Randy Moss on this list. All right. When I was growing up, I didn't really have much money. We didn't have cable in, in at that time yet. There was we didn't have any cable in our house. So I didn't get to watch Marshall. Okay, so Randy Moss, I didn't get to see him. I was in the sixth grade, and I know you're like, dang, Eric, sixth grade. I, I was young, but even when I was in the sixth grade, I watched as much football as I watch now. I, I mean, I love football. I've always loved it. It's always been a huge passion of mine. So, yeah, Randy Moss won't be on here, and there will probably be some other guys, maybe if there's some guys before that, you know, Tim Brown, Desmond Howard, you know, just guys like that. You, you won't see them on this list. It's pretty much guys after – 1998 and if they played on bigger teams not teams like Marshall all right so let's get straight into this man the first guy on my list so this is my guy at number five all right at number five I have Braylon Edwards and Braylon Edwards his impact of the game at Michigan dude was a monster he was a Belichick award winner he was an all-american he had Michigan you know one of the top teams in the nation um, for, you know, years while he was there. Dude was a Big Ten MVP, over 250 catches, 3,500 yards, 39 touchdowns, uh, 6-3, ran a 4-3-6 at his pro day. I mean, the dude was a monster. He was productive, and he was every bit as entertaining when you watched Michigan play. He, he had a big, you know, hand, and, you know, they, they lost the game to, was it the Rose Bowl? to USC. Now, USC had all those guys. All right. Michigan lost in that game, but his impact was still felt. And and I thought throughout his career at Michigan, he never disappeared. He was very productive. So he's my number five guy. All right. Now, there might be guys with better stats, but did they have as much of an impact on the game and on their team season? 
right? So just to throw a name out there, say Zay Jones. Zay Jones, uh, wide receiver drafted a couple years ago by Buffalo Bills. Zay Jones had over, he had like 400 catches, over 4,000 yards. I mean, just crazy numbers, but he didn't have any impact. So I, I don't put all my stock into stats. I do want guys that, you know, were productive. But when I when I say impact, I mean like big impact, Rose Bowl, championship games, you know, things like that. All right. Braden Edwards was all of that. Now, the issue with Braden Edwards was when he got drafted number three overall, he went to Cleveland Browns. And that's why this doesn't have anything to do with what guys did in their professional career. Drafted number three overall, only went over a thousand yards one time. All right. I mean, he went to Cleveland. They've had quarterback issues since. So we can't really knock him too much on his professional career. And, you know, he he still played a number of years, but definitely wasn't what we thought he was going to be. And I think he had the potential to be there. But, you know, it's all about where you go. And he was he was in that same draft as Aaron Rodgers uh, was the intro role. Alex Smith went number one to the Niners. Uh, It was a really good, nice Draft class, he was one of the headliners there, but unfortunately he just didn't have the career that we would have liked him to have. I actually had the opportunity to play with him for a short uh, stint and cover him in one-on-ones. We were both on the Jets in 2013, the offseason. Uh, we were both released, um, unfortunately for, I guess, both of us, but he already had his nice career. But it was kind of cool to see somebody that I watched, you know, growing up and just to, you know, be on the team with him and kind of just see how he worked and actually guard him in one-on-ones. I went up against him three times. He had zero catches. So I kind of take pride in something like that. All right. But Braylon Edwards, that was my first guy, uh, the fifth receiver in my top five ever. Coming in at number four on my all-time college football receiver list is um, Charles Rogers. Charles Rogers from Michigan State. Gosh, big receiver, 6'4", 200 pounds, number two overall pick to the Detroit Lions, Blitnikoff Award winner, unanimous All-American, dude only played two seasons at Michigan State, over 3,000 yards, 135 catches. Gosh, I mean, scored touchdowns. Charles Rogers was amazing. When you heard me introduce him, I I sang that little, I'm Charles Rogers. He had this commercial when he was entering the draft, and the commercial went something along the lines of, um, Charles Rogers, I had some, some catches, 13 touchdowns. It was something like that. But anyways, Charles Rogers, um, he didn't play on the best Michigan State team, but the dude was just unstoppable. You, you got to remember, too, at, at this time, this was, you know, early 2000s, there wasn't a whole lot of spread stuff. There wasn't a whole lot, you know, there wasn't air raid offenses to balloon people's numbers. It was a lot of pro style you know, he had guys on this team like T.J. Dockett. I know some of you real football heads remember him. Big running back at Michigan State. You know, it, it was a pro-style offense. So when he's doing these numbers, and he only played two years, over 3,000 yards, over 135 catches, this is out of a pro-style offense, man. Charles Rogers was the man. <laughs> he was the man. And some of you younger guys, you guys probably never heard of him. And the reason why is because of some NFL stuff that, that happened, and I'll get into that. But... He was good, man. The number two overall pick. So if you see a trend here, the last guy that I spoke about, Brandon Edwards, number three overall pick. Charles Rogers, number two overall pick. He was just unstoppable. Big body, moved very well, timed in the four fours. 
at this time. So, you know, you're talking about a big athletic, you know, receiver. And at this time, you know, this was, you know, a couple years after Randy Moss was drafted. So now everybody's looking for the next Randy Moss. And you're probably not going to find that. But you did find some big freaky athletes in this time. Charles Rogers was one of them. Unfortunately, when he got drafted, he went to the Detroit Lions, number two overall, and he broke his clavicle, right? So he broke his collarbone and then, like, broke it again and broke it again. He, like, broke it, like, three times, and and then he got suspended for, you know, substance abuse stuff, you know, where I I don't know if it was weed or whatever type of drugs he was into, but he got into that, and before you know it, Carlos Rogers was out of the league in three years. Three years. That's it. Number two overall pick was out of the league in three years. He had got some, um, I read that later he got some more NFL workouts, but he was, you know, getting timed in the four eights. And yeah, they just said, you know what? Enough with this guy and shoes. We haven't heard from Carl, Carl, uh, Charles Rogers since. So Charles Rogers, that was my number four guy. I wish that you guys can see it. I'll post some stuff on the um, Twitter account. Just show highlights of who this guy was and just how dominant this dude was, man. Dude was ridiculous. So, Charles Rogers coming in at number four. All right, man. We're getting down to the nitty-gritty here. My final three guys. First up of the three. USC receiver, Mike Williams. So he's landed at number three spot, 6'5", 230 pounds, ran a 4'5", 6", but who, who cares about those numbers? Oh, well, this one is impressive. He ran a 6.983 cone. That's crazy. So so Mike Williams traveled all the way from Florida to go to USC, and, and this was USC's prime years, all right? He, he was part of putting USC on the map. The head coach was Pete Carroll at this time. Quarterback Carson Palmer, he was winning the Heisman Trophy Award. You had Reggie Bush there, you know, young Reggie Bush. Gosh, I mean, just a very, very, very talented USC team. And and this guy was one of the leaders of it, one of the cornerstone pieces of it, Mike Williams. He only played two years there. And you think, like, man, why did he only play two years? He didn't redshirt. All right. So basically what happened was he played his freshman year, played his sophomore year, and then him and Maurice Claret, they tried to go to the NFL draft and Claret tried to get like the judge to and this is I'm going all off memory right now. All right. So I could have some facts of it wrong. This is a lot of years ago. This was like 2004, 2005. All right. So Maurice Claret tried to enter the draft. And as you guys know, the, the way that it's set up now, you have to be three years removed from high school to enter the draft. Well, these guys both played two years of college football, and they did not redshirt. So they have they were only two years removed from being in high school. All right. So they tried to do something where they, they went to the judge and tried to make it to where they can enter the draft. And I want to say originally the judge said, okay, fine, go ahead, go to the draft. And that was when Mike Williams ended up getting an agent. Now, you know, once you get an agent, you can't go back on it and you cannot go back to college football. All right. So I I guess the judge was like, "Okay, go ahead. And then all of a sudden it got overruled. and It was like, no, you can't go to the combine. You can't go to the draft or anything like that. So Mike Williams was just forced to have to sit out a year. So he sat a year. So, yeah, he only ended up playing two years at USC. He started as a true freshman. Started as a true sophomore, sat out a year, and then went to the draft. And actually was a top 10 pick by the Lions right after 
the year after they took Charles Rogers at number two, the, like the year before. It was like the year, yeah, it was like the year before. They did like a run of like three straight receivers like in the top ten. You know, I don't know. It was kind of crazy, but and none of them panned out. <laughs> Roy Williams was kind of good, but anyways, over the two years, 166 catches, 2,500 yards, 30 touchdowns. Dude was very impactful. He helped lead the way. They they played against uh, Michigan in the Rose Bowl. USC came out on top. I just remember being glued to my TV watching that game. And Mike Williams just had a huge impact on not just that game, but just just that whole entire USC run. Uh, he was a cornerstone piece of that. So that that's my number three guy, just big. I mean, boxing people out. He actually ran pretty good routes. Like I said, he had a 6.983 cone. So at 6'5", 230 pounds, the dude can move very well. Another huge impact player. And most kids won't even know who he is because he was a bust. And for various reasons, he blew, his weight went up and down. I mean, if you can just imagine what happened with Kelvin Benjamin, same thing kind of happened with this guy, but just in a just different time, just different era. And it's unfortunate that it happened to him. And another guy, too, on my top. I'm not going to get to him yet, but, yeah, Mike Williams, number three spot. And now let's get into my number two guy. Coming in at number two. We have wide receiver from Texas Tech, Michael Crabtree. Michael Crabtree, another guy that was drafted in the top 10. He was drafted number 10 by the San Francisco 49ers, my San Francisco 49ers. Crabtree, very unique. Another guy that only played two years. So, you know, we had Charles Rogers, only played two years. Um, he redshirted. We had uh, Mike Williams, only played two years. Didn't redshirt, but, you know, I talked about that situation. And now you have Michael Crabtree. Again, only played two years, but he redshirted. Now, why did Crabtree redshirt? He was a redshirt. He was a big recruit uh, out of that school, Carter, Dallas Carter. And he was a quarterback. So Crabtree was a quarterback, transferred over, you know, got an offer from Texas Tech, went over there. And he sat out. There was some kind of dispute or whatever, some kind of issues with his transcripts. So he sat out for that. And also just making the, you know, uh, transition from high school quarterback to college wide receiver. All right. So Michael Crabtree only played two years, redshirted one year. And this dude has eight NCAA records. I mean, the dude was just, when we talk about impact, he was all of that. Now, now some of it came because of the offense that he was in. You know, he had Mike Leach as his coach, and we know, we see, you know, what they do over there at Washington State. They spread the ball around. They throw it a ton. They're throwing screens. They're doing all these different things, but he's the best ever to do it. All right, again, eight NCAA freshman records, including 22 touchdown catches. So as a redshirt freshman, he caught 22 passes. Um, another record that he has is over his first two years, he caught 41 touchdown passes, which is crazy. In the two years, 230 catches, 3,100 yards. He's a two-time Belitnikov Award winner. So Belitnikov Award, that, that's their best receiver in the nation. Well, he's two-time Belitnikov Award winner. Dude only played two years, though. So in <laughs> freshman year, redshirt freshman year, Belitnikov Award winner. Redshirt sophomore year, Belinikoff Award winner. He finished fifth in the Heisman race as a sophomore. He was unanimous All-American. He was all Big 12, you know, first team both years. You know, Texas Tech, this was like the last time that Texas Tech was like really good. You know, we talked about Mahomes, Pat Mahomes being there and what he couldn't do. Well, 
the impact that Michael Crabtree had on Texas Tech, he had those dudes cooking. They they went eleven and two. All right. So Michael Crabtree, he's coming in at number two. I, I don't want to make it seem like numbers are everything, but just the impact that he had, and not just his on his numbers, but on the impact that he had on his team. Texas Tech, eleven and two. You can't even picture that right now because of how that program has gone. And he was he's been one of the lone bright spots in the past several years with that program. Now he got drafted to the 49ers. Um he held out a lot of his uh rookie year. Once he came back, he was decent. I I think Crabtree, you know, obviously when you're a top ten pick, I guess when you just look at the numbers you'd say he didn't live up to, you know, that building of being drafted that high. But he's had definitely more than productive NFL career. He had some solid years with the 49ers, leading them to the Super Bowl with, with Colin Kaepernick. You know, ruptured his Achilles, but he bounced back. He he was decent. Ended up going to the Oakland Raiders, signed a prove-it deal, did well, balled out with Derek Carr, did very well there. Now he's on the Baltimore Ravens, and he's probably on the downside of his career. He might even be a free agent now. Who knows? But Crabtree, I, I'd say out of everybody I've mentioned so far, has definitely had the best NFL career. And, yeah, just do is just super productive, has some of the best hands, and, and it's weird. You know, we talk about hands and, and catches and things like that. This dude actually has, like, led the league in drops, like, the last few years. But it's not because you can't catch. I the dude has mitts. He can catch the ball any type of way, contested catches uh, in the end zone. The dude's amazing. He just never was the fastest guy. And I don't know if that injury he had going into the NFL, he had some kind of foot injury with uh, before the 49ers drafted him, kind of left him not – he didn't do any of the combine stuff. Like, he didn't run his 40 or anything like that. So I don't know if any of that had to do with his, uh, you know, lack of explosiveness at the next level. But Crabtree was a really good football player. He's been a good player over his career. But he's the number two overall NCAA football player that I ever watched. And the player that stands out to me, we talk about impact. Man, I was watching this game. I just remember sitting there and – it's coming down to the wire. I think his quarterback was Graham Harrell. I'm going off of memory here. I could be wrong on that. But the game is coming down to the wire. Time is about to run out. There's like five seconds left. He runs like a deep out or something. He he catches the ball over a DB, turns, runs into the end zone. I think the DB was uh, Earl Thomas. It was against like Texas. Huge game. As time expired, Crabtree runs into the end zone. I'll post this play to my Twitter account for those of you who are maybe younger or didn't see this because this was like 2008, but an amazing play. And it just kind of highlights who Crabtree was during his time at USC and I mean, at Texas Tech and what he meant to the program. So, yep, coming in at number two, Michael Crabtree. And last but not least, coming in at number one, this guy, me and my brother, we always we always used to say, Pito Wardick, Pito Wardick. I don't know why we said that. It kind of sounds stupid now, but... Peter Ward, number one college football receiver of all time. And if you look at his numbers compared to other guys, it's definitely not of their caliber. You know, I just talked about all the accomplishments that Michael Crabtree had. I probably could have went on and on reading just his list of, you know, things that he did, the receiver of the year, all these different things, man. But Peter Ward, man, his you talk about impact, all right? I mean, just dynamic. Peter Work was just the type of guy that you just wanted the ball in his hands. So whether it was a you know 
you're throwing the ball to him, a bubble screen, a, a slant, a post. It, it didn't matter. He would line up at quarterback. He would basically run like a wildcat and just the dude was one of the most elusive dudes ever in college football. I mean, dead leg dudes to death, just break a dude's ankles, man. Peter work. I'm getting excited right now just talking about it. But, you know, w- you know, when we talk about the impact of the game and, and this was something he did something that the other guys I've mentioned so far I haven't been able to do in the national championship game against Virginia Tech and Michael Vick. So Michael Vick was the guy. All right, this was like 2000. Uh, Michael Vick was the guy, most explosive player in college football, ended up being the number one overall pick. And in that same draft, I believe it was LaDainian Tomlinson. I think he went to the Chargers. So Peter Ward, man, in, in, in that game, 160 receiving yards. He caught a bomb for a touchdown. <laughs> Big time play. His quarterback was Chris Winkie? Chris Winkie? I- I'm guessing right now, but I think it was Chris Winkie. All right, caught a bomb for a touchdown. Not only did he catch a bomb for a touchdown, but I, I talked about how explosive he was, dynamic. Uh, he ran a punt return back for a touchdown. It was like a 60-yard touchdown. I, I mean, the dude was just explosive. He was up and probably should have won Heisman. And I, I think he would have won Heisman. And most people kind of point to the dealer situation, okay? So I, I remember all this stuff like it was yesterday. If you guys can remember back, Gosh, it's been like 19 years now. I'm getting old. And Peter Ward went into dealers and bought $400 worth of items, like clothes, for 20 bucks. Right? So he grabbed $400 worth of items, clothes, paid $20, and left. Well, NCAA ended up like looking into it. He ended up getting kind of in trouble for it. And that ruined his whole Heisman campaign. Didn't win the Heisman. Still came back. Got the last laugh. Won the uh, helped win the Sugar Bowl uh, game over uh, Virginia Tech. Ended up being the MVP of that game, and was drafted number four overall. Now, part of where guys get drafted kind of hurts them, right? Sometimes. So you, you go to the Bengals, and at that time they weren't really good. So now we've seen Mar- what Marvin Lewis has done with the team over the last however many years. It's been a long time. But they weren't always like that. All right. They they were they were really bad <laughs> prior to that. They were like the laughing stock of the NFL. Maybe like one notch down below the Cleveland Browns. So Peter Work went to that situation and, and it just seemed like it just was like a black hole. I, I don't know if he didn't take it serious or, you know, whatever the case was, but he just wasn't who we thought he would end up being. And he had a short NFL career. He actually played with Chad Johnson for a little bit. They called themselves uh, 7-Eleven in the Waffle House. Um, I'll, I'll try to post that video on my uh, on the Twitter account, at PressCov, at PressCov Podcast. I'll post that video to that. Number one receiver overall, just huge impact. You just won the ball in his hands. Receiver, he did it all. Super impactful. Should have won Heisman. Should have won Heisman. And have we had a receiver win Heisman? can't think of any right now off the top of my head most of the time it's quarterbacks it's running backs it has been uh charles woodson and we'll get into that on the next episode but yeah peter ward if you guys haven't seen anything from him go on youtube find videos of peter ward and just watch how dynamic he was again i'll post the videos of all these guys all right so all right guys that's gonna do it for my top five all right my top five wide receivers ever for college football at five, I have Brandon Edwards. 
four, Charles Rogers. Three, Mike Williams from USC. Fight on. At two, uh, Texas Tech receiver Michael Crabtree. And at one, Peter Wardick. Peter Wardick. Peter Wardick from FSU. All right. So now I'm going to get into my mailbag segment. So the first question in my mailbag segment, I got a question from my guy Zeke the Prophet. Big supporter. My guy Zeke. Uh, I appreciate the comment. So here we go. I know you always tell your DBs to make the wide receiver work loudly from the line of scrimmage. Any tips or techniques on how to how to recover if the wide receiver gets the release he wants? I see DBs get beat off the line of scrimmage a lot, and they don't have the God-given makeup speed. Is a big play downfield. Yeah. So if you do get beat off the line of scrimmage, you know, say you work your technique perfect and you still get beat. Or, or maybe you didn't work it perfect on that rep, so you get beat. Play through the hands, all right? So what you want to do is you just want to, I'm not going to look back. I'm not going to look back for the ball or anything like that. I'm going to work until I can try to get to the receiver's hip. Once I see that I'm not 100% able to get there, I'm going to work to play through his hands, all right? Distract him, work to play through his hands, raise my arm, whatever I can do to kind of distract him from catching the ball. What I don't want to do is look back early because that's what a lot of people do, and that's, yeah, you don't want to do that. Because that's when there ends up being more separation and the receiver catches the ball and it's probably going to score a touchdown. So, yeah, if you get beat off the line of scrimmage and you're just beat and he gets a yard on you or two or whatever, a step or two on you, work to get to the receiver's hands and try to distract him, try to hand fight, whatever you got to do, but do not look back. All right, so that's first question. Uh, question number two from my guy Skip Red eighty five. Can you give a quick report on the on uh, the Rams? They got Taylor Rapp and the Hawks got Marquise Blair. The Hawks, he's talking about the Seahawks. All right, so first Taylor Rapp. Yeah, I, I really like him. I, I really like him for the Rams. I, I think he's a good like two high type safety. He's not a single high safety type guy, but two high safety can play down in the box. Um, really good blitzer. Very physical on everything um, in front of him. Now. He was able to cover in college, but you're not playing elite, talented receivers every week. So we'll see, you know, how much they put him in coverage at the next level, especially like, you know, say you're going against the 49ers. Now you have him playing in the slot or down in that area. He's going to be asked to guard uh, George Kittle. He's going to be asked to guard Dante Pettis. You know, he, you know, if you're playing the Seahawks, he's going to be asked to guard Tyler Lockett. So those are going to be, you know, really big challenges for him. So, you know, keep him in more of a too high or, you know, drop down but play more in space than be matched up one-on-one. So I do like Taylor Rapp. He's a really good football player, but he, you know, he ran a 4.75, so he kind of lacks that elite speed that you probably would want out of, you know, a coverage type uh, safety. And uh, last question here I got from K underscore Johnson 29. said, hi, Croc. I was wondering if you could – Go over the catch technique on your pod. I'm I'm in the UK playing ball and I've moved over the corner and strong safety, or from corner to strong safety. So I'm uh, man covering a lot in the slot, but struggling with it. I'm trying to learn the catch technique, but find it very difficult. So if you can uh, do a small segment and go over it on your podcast, I love it. He said, "Love the podcast, man. I appreciate the love, uh, Kirion. Yeah, so. Catch technique. I actually struggle with the catch technique as well. It, it, it's tough. You have to really have, you have to have patient feet. Are you? You have to play patient feet. You want to be able to play off, and be able to stay in front of somebody, catch them. It is tough. 
you have to work to be light on your feet. And one thing I've learned is you want to take away something and run to something. So you don't want to get beat across your face. Take away the inside. So kind of split the receiver's body. Take away inside. Make sure you pat your feet a little bit. And then be prepared to run to something. So I'm going to take away the inside no matter what he does. If he tries to come inside, I'm going to get hands on. And if he goes outside, I'm going to run to that. And if you tell your mind that before and you're prepared for that, at least you have a plan. Instead of just lining up and thinking, you know, I'm just going to try to take away everything. That is not going to happen. All right. So take away something, run to something. Have that plan. All right. And shoot, that's it for today, man. So, hey, thank you guys for joining me on another episode of the Press Coverage Podcast. On my next episode, I'll be covering my top five all-time great defensive backs. All right, make sure you guys subscribe, rate, review this podcast. I appreciate all the love, all interactions. I welcome them all on Twitter. I need to get an Instagram going. I need to get YouTube going. I'm going to keep growing this thing, man. But, yeah, man, I appreciate you guys. And, hey, next week right here on the Press Coverage Podcast.